And the reason I'm going here is that you're saying, well, I didn't realize Ruth was this theological. Oh, it is. It is so theological, but it's theological with flesh wrapped around it. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Imparten, a teaching resource designed to encourage and equip believers through the faithful exposition of God's Word. Now let's listen to Rodney Brown as we start our new series in the Book of Ruth. Look at our second point. God is sovereign, but doesn't care. Verse 21. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Literally, full I went out, empty he returned me. Like an old Coke bottle, you know. You know, five cents for return of deposit. I went out full, and then he just, he's brought me back empty. She's not necessarily saying that he's purposely taken everything from him, but it's just somehow he's responsible because, again, he's sovereign. <laughs> the question I have is, how does this make Ruth feel? I mean, she, Ruth is like, I, I'm right here. Did I not just give up my whole life to minister to you? But, but that's what bitterness does, right? Remember those bitter lenses? Bitterness makes you so nearsighted, you can't see far away. She can't even see Ruth right next to her. A Moabite woman who has left her country, who's also lost everything and is willing to give up her entire life because she loves Yahweh, and as a result, she will minister to her mother-in-law until she dies as a celibate single woman. Empty, I return? I don't think so. One commentator describes bitterness as a, as a wound nursed. And you nurse it. You just keep nursing it. In this case, she's saying it's God's fault. And you can see that as she looks around saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And she, she recognizes that the cafe she used to have morning coffee with her, with her husband she recognizes the playground where her kids used to play. And the pain she feels is against the backdrop of formerly really good times. She describes herself as a large clay pot that is now empty. Now, you need to understand what she's saying here. When she says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, what she's saying is, I'm like the clay pots you have in your home because you don't have closets in the ancient Near East, okay? And you certainly don't have Rubbermaids. And so anything of value was put in clay pots. There was grain, food, oil. Okay, remember the widow of Zarephath? Okay, oil. And when your pots are empty, what does that mean? Oh, I'm just going to go to the garage to the deep freeze and get some more food out? When your pots were empty, you were destitute. You had nothing else. She realizes she is at the end of her rope. And what she's saying is, it just seems like God doesn't care at this point because I've got nothing, not realizing she has Ruth. Now, let's identify a little bit. We don't say things like, the Lord has brought me back empty. But tell me if you don't recognize these. I just feel like God doesn't care. Oh, I know God has done a lot for me in the past, but lately, I just wish He'd give me a break. I heard one pastor recently say, you know, I feel jinxed. 
quote, I don't know what's going on, but God just won't let me get ahead. I do, and I do, and I do, and God just seems to reward me, reward me with pain. And don't raise your hands, but if you could pick out at least one or more of those there, you just said, I went out full, the Lord has brought me back empty. And ultimately what you're saying is, I really don't believe God cares. Look at our third point. God is sovereign, but is against me. You, you see the, the volumes being turned up with each successive comment. Verse 21 again. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed, circle that, witnessed against me? And the Almighty, there's that El Shaddai, has afflicted me. She's going to go a step further with this illustration. We had the clay pot before. Now she opens up an illustration where she is in a courtroom. And do you know who the chief witness for the prosecution, by the way, she's the defendant, the chief witness for the prosecution is God Himself. She's like, how can I compete against that? God Himself witnesses against me. I'm tried and convicted. Not only is He not good, not only is He just, you know, distant and doesn't care, now, now I'm saying He is actually nearby, but in a, in a mean-spirited way. He's out to get me. And, and this is exactly what we do. I'll, I'll put myself on the line. This is exactly what I do when trials hit. My first response is, what the heck went wrong? My second one is, God, are you there? Do you care? And then finally, given enough time, what do I say? God, why are you doing this to me? And all of this comes out of this, this seemingly less important attribute of God, His goodness. But it's not less important. It's so important. And the reason we lose it, the reason we don't see it, it's like, okay, I'm colorblind, so I'm going to pick on myself here. It's like being colorblind, and I'm, I'm red-green colorblind. So it's like God's, God's greatness, it's, it's in blue and black and white, and I can see that, but His goodness, it's in red and green. And it's like being colorblind. You see the outlines of His greatness, but you miss the vibrancy of the reds and the greens of His goodness. And when trials come, this spiritual nearsightedness with the glasses of bitterness, you can't see it. And when you can't see it, all you see is His greatness. And you're saying, if this is happening to me and you're in control of everything, well, then it must be your fault. A am I connecting here? Boy, I, I, I feel it. And so now I'm at a crossroads. What do I do with Naomi? Because if I had just read this and done a cursory reading, boy, I was ready to condemn Naomi. She was in the black hat. She was in the wanted poster. She's the bad gal. She's the bitter old woman. Where's her broomstick, right? Well, now I read this. Now I study it and I realize, whoo, I'm a whole lot more like Naomi than I realize. So here's my crossroads. This is what we do with sin. We want to be self-protective and we care about self when self is on the throne. Let me, just, let, let me just do some hermeneutical gymnastics here and tell you how this is really authentic faith. And that's what a lot of commentators do. Naomi here, oh, she's, 
God love her. She's just being authentic. She's just being real. Now why would I do that? Because then I can justify my sin at besmirching God's character as being real. But I don't want to go to the other extreme and just, again, just write her off. What I want to do is identify with her. This is real discipleship. Identify with her, empathize with her, but then go to Scripture and say, but what glorifies God and what glorifies me? And the fact is, is that empathizing with her, she's in a lot of pain. And if she was a member of this congregation, we would need to hear her pain and be with her. But there's a way to do that. Let me show you. Step four. God is sovereign, is good, cares, and is for you. Paul Miller again explains that Naomi is interpreting God through the lens of her experience. Experience. That's that, those bitter lenses. She's created a one-dimensional God, but God is not that way. He's both sovereign and good. And we have to, in Scripture, maintain, watch this, a healthy tension between God's sovereignty and His goodness. If we lose on the sovereignty side, we become fatalistic. If we, if we lose on the good, goodness side, well, then God becomes weak and impotent. He can't do anything. We, we, either, we either say, you know, enshallah over here, or there's a demon behind every bush. God is either really mean-spirited or He's not in control. In fact, God is in control, but He is good. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him, there is no want. Brethren, when, when you encounter suffering, your first response is to believe God is sovereign. Less than 30 seconds later, we should believe God is good. We should believe God is good. Suffering is not indicative of a mean-spirited God. So what do we do? Well, let me start by explaining laments are okay. Do you know what I mean by lament? Lamentations, a cry. Jeremiah was the crying prophet. We've got psalm after psalm where, where the psalmist, particularly David, is crying out to God. Crying out to God is not only okay, it's good. It's encouraging. It's a, indicative of a growing faith. But here are the two differences, and we're going to put this against Naomi here. The two differences are you cry to God. Naomi over here, you don't cry about Him. You don't cry against Him. You cry to Him. Okay? Secondly, in every case where we have a lament, a psalm, we not only have a cry to God, which is expressing real pain, asking real questions, and in some cases saying, God, why are you even doing this? But do you know how the psalm ends? With contentment. You can cry to God. You should cry to God. But you need to make sure it's to God not against Him or about Him. Secondly, crying to God must be followed by contentment. Listen to how these psalms begin and end. Psalm 10. Why do you stand far off, O God? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Now see, growing up, I would have thought, Woo, you don't ever say that. But you could say that to God in prayer. With the right heart, you could cry out. And, and you, the psalmist is saying, 
It feels this way. It seems this way. But then listen to how Psalm 10 ends. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Why do you stand far off, Lord? I trust you. I trust that you're in control and you're going to work things out. They're not two different attitudes. It, it's, it's the creation asking the creator and it, crying out to I'm in pain, I need help, but it's wrapped in the, but I trust you, but I trust you, but you're good. When Christ was on the cross, what did he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, did God the Father forsake God the Son? Did they quit being part of the Trinity? No. Did it certainly feel like that in the midst of the pain as the propitiation, the wrath of God was put upon the Son of God for our sins? Yes. That was far more painful than the nails in his hands. And so he cries out, not just his own words, he's crying out Psalm 22, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, where David is on the run, David is feeling great pain, and he says, why have you forsaken me? But do you know how that psalm ends? Listen to this. He's talking about how people, people will come, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Hear me, Metro family. In no way am I saying that we caustically or in a tacky manner question God's character or what he's doing. But God allows His children to come to Him in prayer and cry out in their pain and say, God, I don't understand, and it feels this way. But I know that my feelings are not indicative of the truth, and I know you are sovereign and you are good. We hope this podcast has helped you grow in your faith and understanding of God's Word. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. This is Imparting.org. Imparting the word, imparting our lives. For more information about the ministry, or to enjoy more resources, visit us at Imparting.org.